contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I have some really interesting stuff I want to shine the light on today as we deep dive into some legal and business issues in sports. USA Hockey. It's been in the news this week, and the reason it has is we've got a boycott, and maybe that's not the right word, we'll find out. Uh, The approaching world championships are coming up March 31st in Michigan, and members of the U.S. women's national hockey team have decided to not go as they negotiate for increased wages, support, etc. The lawyers handling the case are on with me, John Langle and Dee Spagnolo from Ballard Spar here in Philadelphia, and also one of the players, Ford Megan Duggan, is with us. So welcome to you all. Thanks for having us. Thanks very much. Thank you. Start with John, uh, sort of behind this boycott, and tell me if that's the right word. What is it that you're protesting, and what, what is the end game here with the World Championships approaching the end of the month? Yeah. Andrew, boycott is, is, is a fine word in our... Uh, letters to USA Hockey, we said that the players would not appear for training camp on the 21st and would not play in the World Championship unless we were able to reach an agreement. Um, the end game is to be consistent with the Ted Stevens Amateur Sports Act, right. which was adopted in 1970 and provided that all national governing bodies were supposed to provide equitable support. Unlike Title IX, it's not equal. It's equitable support for men's and women's programs where there are separate teams. And if you look at USA Hockey, they do not provide equitable support for the women's and girls side of the game compared to what they do, particularly on the boys side of the game. 17 and 18 year old boys uh, receive the bulk of their spend every year. And what is, and maybe Dee, you can answer this, what is the compensation to the U.S. women's hockey team as we sit here today? Yeah, Andrew, the the biggest sticking point when it comes to compensation is the fact that USA Hockey, throughout the term of our negotiation with them, which has been over a year now, Mm -hmm. refuses to look at the time period outside of what we call the pre-Olympic and Olympic time period, six months leading up to and including the Olympics. During that time period in the 2014 Olympics, USA Hockey paid the women $1,000 a month and virtually nothing outside of that six-month period. So uh, what what the players are looking for here really fall into three categories. It's, It's compensation, but particularly compensation outside of that Olympic period because they are required to attend training camps, playing competition such as the World Championship, Four Nations Cup, and some other games, and, of course, train even when they are not with USA Hockey throughout the four-year cycle, not just during that six-month period. But historically, USA Hockey has only paid the women, and like I said, it was $1,000 a month for that six-month period. And what we have been asking for on behalf of the players is a contract that looks at the time period the rest of the three and a half years out of that four-year cycle. And Megan, what is your life like in the times where it's not an Olympic year? 
Um, <laughs> in terms of well, compensation, in terms of, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, as Dee mentioned, uh, USA Hockey, from a compensation standpoint, provides us with that $1,000 in a, uh, for those, a month, for six months out of a four-year Olympic cycle. Um, mm. This, you know, the the upcoming Olympics, um, you know, that I'm, I'm trying to make that team for is, it will be my third Olympics. So I've been through, um, you know, two and a half to almost three of these Olympic cycles. So right. those other three and a half years, um, we, we survived solely, um, on a stipend from the USOC, uh, the United States Olympic committee that comes in monthly. And that stipend, um, is USA hockey dictates, uh, who within the pool gets a certain amount. Um, and then other than that, you know, we survive on, on, on outside jobs, um, full-time, part-time, um, you know, support from parents and families and friends and spouses, um, you know, working clinics, um, or running private lessons. Um, it's, uh, you know, we have to do those things in order to support ourselves, um, to train and, and to live in the places that we, we need to live in order to, to train the way that we need to train. And John, how does this compare to what the men's are being paid, the men's team? Well, so uh, if you look at the paradigm, uh, there isn't a strict women's versus men's comparison because the men play in the NHL. Right. Um, and they, you know, appear in the World Games and they appear in the, the Olympics. They might not go to the Olympics in Seoul this year, and that's being discussed right now. Um, the comparison is... Uh, what they do for the men and boys versus women and girls. And the numbers that they've shared with us, they spend about $4.5 million on men and boys. Boys, meaning 17- and 18-year-old boys, <clears throat> they spend $3.5 million a year on, uh, and the boys play in a 50- to 60-game season. And if you look at women and girls, it's roughly a million dollars. So it's almost four and a half to one of what they spend uh, on women, girls, uh, men, boys versus women, girls. And their mission is to help grow the sport in uh, the United States. And they're not making any attempt to grow the sport on the women, girls side. It's growing. Uh, the demographics are it's the largest growth area for them, but it's growing despite uh, their lack of support uh, for the women and girls in the United States. So as we approach this, this uh, the, the, the March 31st World Championships, let's bring people up to speed. We've had a deadline placed on by the USA Hockey with an ultimatum. And that was by yesterday, now talking on Friday, the 17th. That deadline passed without you guys agreeing to anything, correct? And uh, what has been their response since that deadline passed? Let me handle that, uh, Dee. Um, the, um, curiously, uh, Andrew, the, uh, they heard from us. Uh, on Wednesday, representing all the players, and Ballard Spar has been engaged by all of the players. Right. Um, they heard from us on Wednesday that the players would not uh, appear on the 21st. Then they send the players an e email saying, "Will you appear?" 
<laughs> and the players responded, no. At the same time, they were telling the media that they were steadfast in uh, getting another younger team uh, to play in place of the women. So we suspect that they wanted to know for sure uh, with that threat that they would get a younger team from the players. And the players are passionate and resolute in their position. And not to suggest a question, but maybe Megan could address uh, the younger player scenario. So with these, and Megan, you can answer, the players they've talked to, the younger players, they would be, in, in effect, replacements for you guys? It, um, yeah, I guess you could say that. Uh, obviously, you know, disappointing for us yesterday um, to hear that that was initially their first response, that they would field the team and that they would be willing um, to move forward with other players rather than, than speaking, um, you know, with us and trying to resolve some of these uh, terms that we had proposed. Um, with that being said, you know, we, we didn't come to this decision overnight to uh, put something on the line that means so much to us in our, in our entire program. Um, this, this decision um, to sit out the world championships is not one made solely by the 23 girls on that world championship roster. This is a program-wide um, united stance. Um, we had, you know, had previously been in contact with our entire U18 team and um, all the girls in our player pool, and we, we stand together in this. So, um, like I said, for them to say that they would bring another team, I think is, is pretty disappointing um, to me and, and, and everyone else in the program um, because we would rather, you know, speak with them and, and discuss and discuss these terms and these points um, rather than them kind of pushing us aside and, you know, saying they'll bring, they'll bring someone else. Yeah. It seems like a hard line bargaining tactic. And speaking of those bargaining D or John, what, wh how is it going? Are you having conversations? Have you given them for lack of a better term, your wish list on what would resolve this and where are you in those negotiations? Sure, I'll handle that question, uh, Andrew. Just to give you a little bit of background, you know, we, we first reached out to USA Hockey on behalf of the players on February 8th, 2016, and mm. sent them a letter outlining three general areas, and those areas have been consistent throughout the course of these negotiations. Compensation, particularly outside of the six-month Olympic period, increased programming in a non-Olympic year, these players play only nine games a year. And so this is a situation where, yes, they are asking for a living wage and increased compensation, but they're also asking for the opportunity to work more. Right. And, uh, and the third area being marketing and PR and, and general support for the team to, to elevate the team's profile. And uh, the team has stepped up its end of the bargain in terms of being the most talented team in the world. They are defending world champions. And in terms of being able to market a group and to promote a group, uh, it's, it's a lot easier to promote winners. And this team has a long legacy of winning. Uh, but in terms of where we are in the negotiation and sort of what we've asked for, I'd also like to just give you a little bit of history. When, when John and I first sat down with USA Hockey in our first face-to-face -face meeting with them in April of, of 2016, Dave Ogren, who is the executive director of USA Hockey, in opening that discussion, said to us, 
you know, I've been telling my board for quite some time that it's just a matter of time before someone raises these issues on behalf of the women. Hmm. So that we are here today on March 17th, 2017, almost a year after that conversation, raising the same issues and pushing for the same issues. Um, as Megan said, this was not a decision the team took lightly. It was a long time coming, and certainly longer, you know, even longer before we first reached out to them. These issues have have been around. Uh, so, you know, we um, we did we have throughout the last year been exchanging letters outlining what it is the players are requesting, but those requests have not changed dramatically. They have focused on those three areas. And uh, as recently as March 8th, we outlined in detail proposed terms uh, that followed on a discussion that we had, a face-to-face we had uh, in Denver, flew out to Denver and met with USA Hockey uh, with some of the players where uh, we again talked about the issues and talked about the lack of funding and compensation outside of that six-month period. So on March 8th, we, we sent a proposal in, in detail, and um, as recently as Tuesday of this week, I had a conversation with USA Hockey's general counsel, and there was very little movement in their position, and in particular, as uh, has been the case over the last year, they refused to talk about the time period outside of that six-month Olympic period. We then took that to the players, all of the players, and the players instructed us to tell uh, USA Hockey the next morning that they, uh, based on what had been presented, the players would not appear uh, for training on March 21st and would not play unless uh, there was uh, a resolution of the arrangement. And are there further talks planned? We have read in the newspaper that they we've been talking to them <laughs> okay <laughs> they reached uh, they claim in the newspaper uh to have reached out to players <clears throat> which is factual um they have reached out to players uh-huh. uh and they claim that they have reached out to legal counsel when i read that in the news in the espn online last night i called d to say did they reach out to you and d said no i thought maybe they reached out to you so uh, we've read that they reached out to us, but they haven't. But we do know that they tried to do an end run and reach out to the players directly. Did they reach out to you, Megan? Yes. They reached out to you directly um, about bypassing your attorneys. Yes. In what in what capacity? What did they say? Um, I just had a, uh, a missed call. I actually, I, I was playing in a semifinal um, playoff game last night for the NWHL version mm-hmm. of the Stanley Cup, um, which is the <laughs> Isabel Cup for our, our pro team. I used to get a break from my phone for a little bit and just kind of focus on on the on hockey. Um, and we ended up winning that game. We're playing for the Isabel Cup championship right. on Sunday. Um, but I, I missed the call. Um, obviously, was was playing in the game and then. Uh, there was a follow-up text message that they wanted to speak, and um, I talked to John a little bit about it, and we just decided that uh, the best thing would be to say, you know, thanks for the follow-up. Please speak with John and Dee um, if you want to talk. So that's uh, that was our only 
communication. And a Andrew, I, I have to point out that it's disappointing to us that uh, that USA Hockey was not aware that Megan would be on the ice in the semifinal game. And, you know, to be calling her during that time sort of suggests that they are generally not aware of uh, what's happening in the world of women's ice hockey. Yeah. One thing I have to ask, uh, I've had on this podcast Jeffrey Kessler and Carly Lloyd about what I think is a similar issue, trying to achieve some equality with U.S. soccer and the women's team there. Are there parallels you can draw to that? No. Why not? I, I don't think so. Um, so I don't know if you know that I represented the women's soccer players from 1998 okay. till the fall of 2014. I was not involved in the equal pay uh, case. With the men and the women on the soccer side, there are uh, equivalents, meaning there's a men's national team that competes in international friendlies and a World Cup and certain uh, 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 Copa games that they call them. Right. And the men play, let's say, 15 to 20 friendlies and competitions a year. And on the other side is the women and the women play 15 to 20 and maybe a little more. So there's a parallel uh, and a comparable to be drawn between the men and what they're paid and the women and what they're paid. Um, we have not raised the equal pay because there's no parallel. Uh, we are proceeding under the Amateur Sports Act um, because there's a lack of equitable support uh, for, uh, for the women and the girls programs. Okay. So it's a bit different. I see. Thanks for clearing that up. As we head to this, well, it's a March 31 championships, but as you mentioned, a March 21 reporting time. Where are we going to go with this in your, in your mind? They're not talking. They tried to bypass you to go to the players directly. They're looking at hiring junior players. Um, what do you see happening as we approach these deadlines? So as someone who has been a labor and employment lawyer and a sports lawyer for most of my career, some 40 years, um, and steeped in negotiations, my view of it, Andrew, is that, one, they didn't believe that the women would do this. Right. Um, two, uh, that their initial response was try to go get younger players. And they said that in the media, that they would field another team. They've now backed off that. My view was they were going to go get younger players and then come back to us and say, really, do you want to bypass this world championship? We don't need you. Um, and I think that they haven't been successful with that. Um, they have our proposal, uh, and they've never addressed the three and a half out years. Uh, and I'm hopeful that they're busy looking at that, although they say they won't do that, and that we will hear from them. Um, we gave them sufficient time in advance of the 21st to do it. It's not complicated. If they wanted to be serious, you could have a day of negotiations and a deal wrapped up. Um, and there's certainly time between now and when the world championship would be played uh, to get a deal done. And they've told the media and they've told players that they will reach out to us. They just haven't done it yet. And I'm hopeful they're preparing. 
In terms of uh, terms, I don't want you to negotiate this, you know, in the media, on my podcast, whatever. But is it, would it be safe to say the major negotiating point from your end is to have compensation during the, I guess, year-round throughout the off period from the Olympics, way beyond the six-month Olympic period? There's two components. There's that six-month period. Uh, and there's also... And their proposal on the six-month period is inadequate. Um, and we've told them that. The second part of it is the three and a half years. Right. So we are looking for a four-year contract with appropriate compensation, but appropriate other things too. Uh, equivalencies on the number of physical uh, physical therapists, the number of massage therapists, the number of trainers, uh, flight arrangements, uh if there's a direct uh, nonstop flight, um, the women don't always get that direct nonstop flight and are rooted through other cities because uh, USA Hockey wants to save money and they're always sitting in middle seats. So there's even little things like that. Um, uh, equipment being provided. There's stories in the media to the effect that some of the goalies aren't provided equipment when they show up for training. We're looking for equivalencies for all of that kind of thing. I wish you the best. I'm going to give Megan the last word here. Megan, anything you want to uh, lay out or anything you want to point out about how much you want to get back on the ice for the team, but what's holding you back, and, and how solid uh, your group is together right now? Um, I mean, yeah, without, without question, we, we want to be on the ice. Um, the, that's why that's why we do what we do year round. That's you know we've been preparing for this world championship since you know the gold medal game of the last world championship. Right. And um, I think I think it just goes to show um, you know we're willing to make a sacrifice of something that means so much to us and something that we have dedicated every minute of every day for the last year for. I think it just goes to show how serious we are um, about making progress. Um, and, you know, in terms of how united our group has been, I, I can't stress enough how proud I am to be a part of this group. Um, it, it, it makes me emotional. It almost brings tears to my eyes because you, you can't get things accomplished without standing side by side and hand in hand with each other. Um, you know, 17 years ago, when uh, when Candy Granado and, and some of those girls tried mm-hmm. to make progress within USA Hockey for a lot of the exact same things that we are doing, you know, today, 17 years later, she said to us that they weren't, you know, they weren't as united as this group. And the reason why this group will will make progress and will move forward is is because of our unity. Um, it starts with with our leadership group, certainly, um, but. You know, our, our younger players, the U18 girls, um, anyone that's been involved in this program for, you know, seven, eight, ten years or girls that have been, you know, seven, eight, ten months, we stand together. And uh, I think that's the most powerful part of this entire thing. Well said. And we'll leave it on that note. We certainly wish you the best. Megan Duggan, forward for the USA women's hockey team and attorneys Dee Spagnuolo and John Langle from Ballard Spar in Philadelphia. Thanks so much. Very informative, very insightful for being on the Business of Sports podcast. 
Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.